So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we're going to start as we, uh, thank you Josh, as we spent some time in 1 Thessalonians. Paul wrote this letter pretty quickly uh, by all accounts uh, back to this church. Uh, it's a good possibility that in the 18 months that Paul stayed in Corinth, he wrote both of these letters uh, to this community that he had nothing but, but positive things to say to uh, because of the way that they had responded to the gospel. We walked through uh, that in the first letter. But the second letter, uh, there's some concerns that come up. Obviously, Paul hears them. And so the big picture of Second Thessalonians is each chapter addresses a particular concern. The first chapter is all about encouragement in the middle of persecution. The second chapter is all about dealing with the question of whether or not Jesus has already returned. And in the third chapter, uh, there's some admonition about that goes toward people who are idle and lazy and not working. And Paul addresses that in the third chapter. And so we're going we're gonna to build on those themes as we go through Second uh, Thessalonians, these three chapters. Again, the first book, no fault. Lots of encouragement, lots of support, lots of lessons learned. But this letter... There were some particular concerns that were coming up. And so tonight we're going to talk about persecution. I, uh, I want you to go, uh, David, if you go to the last two verses of chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, verses 11 and 12, right? I'm just going to read these to you. So it's with this in mind, right, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this, we pray this, right? We're praying what? We're praying that the power of God, right? Will work in you so that what your faith prompts you to do, you have the power to be able to do it. Everybody got that? He says, here's the reason we pray this. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? There's a purpose. There's a purpose to our lives as Christian people. Ultimately, Ultimately, the purpose of our lives, right, in, in God's economy is to bring God glory. And there's a process by which the Bible makes it clear of how we do that, right? Paul writes it and says it this way, that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? We're to be conformed to the image of Christ, Paul also says that we're being changed from one level of glory to another level of glory, right? God's constantly at work, right? God's constantly at work in all of us who are believers, right? He's constantly at work in all of us who are believers. Why? Because his desire is to receive glory from those around him and to do that he brings his glory out of you and me so that those around us can see God in a way that they can believe in him and they can give him glory, right? No man has seen God, 
right? Anybody here want to testify that they've seen God? Thank you for not saying that. It would have been awkward, right? But the Bible says that no man has seen God. But there's a way that believers can live that allows people to believe in a God who they haven't seen. Amen? That's, that's how God works in us to produce his glory. Right? I explained it this way to my friend. Right? My friend who was called 17 years ago into the ministry spent 17 years running away from God. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of tears and heartache, lots of moves, lots of, lots of struggles in the process. Last year, two years ago, I watched God continue to work in my friend because my, my, our God's desire was that my friend would allow God to receive glory through his life. I mean, that's what Jesus said to God. God, glorify me, right? Glorify yourself in me. And God's response to his son was, I'm already doing that, right? That's what God wants out of us. And here's the way God works. At a certain level, you represent the glory of God in your faith, wherever you're at. Every person is different in that process, right? But God's desire is to change us from that level of glory to another so that he receives glory and we receive glory in that process. So my, my friend who spent 17 years, you know, disregarding God's call, ultimately finally found himself in a position where he was surrendered to God. God gave him the power to do the thing that his faith was telling him to do, which was to pack up, leave Oklahoma, and move to the middle of Illinois in this little dinky small town so that God could use him to lead a church. When my friend surrendered to God in that act of faith, that God gave him the power to do it, God received a different level of glory from my friend Jason. And Jason, at the same time, was glorified in that process because never before had Jason looked more like Jesus than in the moment he surrendered to God. Does that make sense to you? That's what God's working on in all of us, right? You give God glory, and in that glory, you are glorified yourself. You, you're, not, you're not built up or you're not braggadocious. But you know how this works, right? You know how it works in your life and others around you. You've been around people and you will walk away going, man, every time I'm around them, I just feel like, right? I can just feel the presence of Christ, right? I can just feel the Holy Spirit in them. What is that? That's simply a way that God is receiving glory through them at a certain level. And in that, they're glorified because they look more like God or more like Jesus than they've ever looked before. And that's the process by which God works. What Paul is going to say in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians is really a difficult thing to hear. Because what he's going to say to that church and what he says to us 2,000 years later is this. Here's one of the primary ways I prepare you so that I can receive glory from you from one level to another. And that's through persecution and that's through tribulation. Nobody wants to hear that, especially in an American church, right? I mean, listen, one of the biggest, one of the biggest misnomers and false gospel in our churches today 
is this notion of a gospel that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We just, we just say it differently in 2021, right? We say the same things we've always said. We just use sharper language in 2021. But the Western Christian, the Christian in the United States, for the majority of them, they want to make sure that God blesses them, right? And the reality is that what Paul's going to speak about in the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians is this. Suffering and tribulation plays a huge part in how God receives glory through you and me. So we're going to cover a lot of scripture tonight. So once again, if you're on the app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can always click down on the bottom corner where it says more, look for live events, find Tomoka. The notes are all there. You can write them down however you want to do it. But we're going to cover a lot of scripture tonight because the Bible speaks about this much better than I do. Okay? So we're going to talk about persecution and we're going to talk about tribulation. And we're going to talk about this, first of all, the ingredients, the ingredients to suffer well. Right? We're going to cover the ingredients to suffer well. Let's read those first four verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, start of verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so. Because, here's why, here's why. because your faith is growing... More and more, and the love, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Listen, just so you know, if you if you have faith in Jesus uh, online or in here, can I just hear you say amen? amen? That faith should be growing, right? Faith is designed to grow. Okay, he says your love for each other is increasing, right? If You've got God's love in you. Our love for each other should be increasing as well. And for some of you, that's the only thing you need to hear tonight. Because you've been at the same place in your faith for the last five years, the last ten years. You haven't learned how to love each other in a way that it's increasing. As a matter of fact, in 2021, with what's gone on in our world and what continues to go on, Christians are finding it harder and harder and harder to love each other in a way that it's increasing. But those are expected. And he said, we ought to give thanks for that. But he says this, therefore, among, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith in all the persecutions and the trials that you are enduring, right? Listen, there are ingredients to suffering well. All right, I want to illustrate it this way. How many of you like to bake? Who likes to bake? Okay, four of you. How many of you like to cook, right? Someone said that the difference between baking and cooking is this, that cooking is art while baking is science. I like that, right? Let me show you a couple of pictures of baking, right? So there's some really fancy whatever these things are, right? I looked up the ingredient, incredibly specific, right, of how this has to be done. And here's the thing about baking. If you do it wrong in the recipe, it doesn't look like that, right? Here's, here's my favorite thing in the world to bake, right? Next picture. 
Reese's. Come on, right? Snickerdoodles, man. It's the best cookie in the world because it's the cookie that doesn't want to be a cookie, right? Listen, if you're a cookie and you've got cream of tartar, you win. You win, right? It's that simple. But again, people who know me know I like snickerdoodles. And so they make them for me. And I can tell you some of them shouldn't. Right? There's a way a snickerdoodle should look and should taste. Is there any other snickerdoodle people in here? Right? There's a way. Look at this is my people, right? Like, listen, tell me the truth. There's a way a snickerdoodle should look and taste, right? Absolutely, right? You've got to follow the recipe to the letter. Because if you don't, they're not going to look or taste like that. Baking is very specific. Cooking, on the other hand, is not. It's not complicated, right? That's a breakfast quesadilla. You throw some eggs and some salt and pepper. You don't measure it. A little bit of milk if you want it in there. You whip it up. Cook some scrambled eggs. Throw it on a quesadilla or tortilla with some cheese. Throw it in a skillet. It's not rocket science. Right? It's not measured. Right? How about this? Chili? My goodness gracious. You can, you can, if we had a chili cook off in here and those of you like to cook chili, you come in and they'd all taste differently. You know why? Because it's like a little pinch here and a little pinch there. Throw that in there, right? Everybody makes it different because cooking isn't as specific about ingredients as baking is. Paul says, right, there are ingredients to suffering well. And if you'll bring that verse four back up, David, here's what he says that we need to suffer well. Verse three, I'm sorry, go ahead. There you go. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your what? Perseverance and your what? And your faith in all the persecutions and trial you're enduring. Listen, here are two undeniable ingredients you need in your life to suffer persecution and tribulation well, right? That is, you need to have perseverance, right? The Greek word there is the idea that you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to hold up under the weight, right? You can't buckle. You can't surrender, you can't lay down, right? If you're going to suffer well, you're going to have to be able to endure, right? The pain of persecution and the pain of tribulation, right? And the Greek word for persecution is the idea that somebody is pursuing you. Somebody is following you. Somebody is after you to harm you. Tribulation is the idea that it's, it's two things that are rubbing together and causing friction. Right? It doesn't mean that you're going to get your head chopped off, right? There's lots of persecution and tribulation in our world for Christians, right? There's all kinds of spots where it's friction because it's in a tight space, right? There's all kinds of people in our world that if you speak up for Jesus and you live the way Jesus wants you to, there will be people who will doggedly pursue you on social media. They'll criticize you in front of people, right? Listen, you don't have to live in a country where there's churches that are underground and sneaking the Bible to be persecuted. You don't have to live like that to absorb 
tribulation. Every person in here and everybody online who follows Jesus has suffered some persecution and tribulation. If you want to do it well, you're going to have to not crumble under the weight of it. And you're going to have to have, you're going to have to be fully persuaded that you can trust God. Because whatever you're going through, you're going to have to trust that he's going to get you through it. That he's not going to leave you or forsake you. Right? You're going to have to learn how to trust that. Because listen, if the minute the weight gets heavy, you start screaming at God, what are you doing? Right? I don't understand why this is happening to me. You're going to have a hard time suffering well. And here's the thing. As we walk through this, there's a huge reason God wants you and I to suffer well. One that is absolutely essential to making sure that people get a really good opportunity to believe in Jesus, right? But you need those ingredients. Listen to some of these verses. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, right? We're talking about ingredients to suffer well. Not only so, but we also rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces Right? The same Greek word, right? Suffering, listen to this. Isn't it this sort of complicated? You need to have perseverance to endure suffering. And the way to get perseverance is to what? Suffer. Thank you, God. Right? That makes no sense. Right? That's frustrating. I don't know if that frustrates you, but that kind of logic can frustrate me. Right? Because we know that suffering produces the very thing we need to suffer well. Perseverance. And perseverance produces character, right? And character produces hope. And here's the thing about hope. Hope never disappoints. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Man, you got to suffer well. You need perseverance. But to get perseverance, you got to suffer, right? And he says this in James 1, 2-4. Consider it pure my brothers, whenever you face trials, right? Fires of many kinds. Anybody in here facing trials of various kinds in your life? Right? He says, count it all joy. Why? Why? Not because God's a sadist and he thinks you should always have a smile on your face. He's not saying you, you have to be happy-go-lucky and if you're suffering, you should never, ever, ever let it show on your face. That's not what joy is. But it, joy sees the bigger picture because suffering and trials do what? You know that the testing of your faith develops... Man, God, I got to suffer, right? I got to have endurance to suffer well. But to get endurance, i got to suffer and endure trials. And I'm supposed to be joyful about it. Because I get the big picture. Anybody in here struggle with that besides me? Right? He says, and you got to let perseverance. Here's why perseverance is so important. Perseverance has got to finish its work so that you can be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. You want to know how to be a Christian that's satisfied and fulfilled? Suffer well. Because in suffering, God produces character through the perseverance, right? And in that, you become mature. You want, 
Anybody ever tell you that you're not mature in Jesus? I can tell you that probably one of the things you're struggling with isn't because you don't know the books of the Bible and can't quote some scripture. And isn't because you don't come to church. My guess is you're struggling with being a mature Christian because you just don't want to suffer well. Because suffering, man, suffering produces character, right? Suffering produces maturity, right? And here's what it says. It makes you complete and lacking nothing. Man, one of the best ways to be satisfied in Jesus as a believer is one of the hardest things you're ever going to convince a Christian to do. And that's to suffer well. That's a really complicated thing. Here's what James 1.12 says. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who... Man, aren't you sick of that word? Right? Like, you need perseverance to suffer well. But the way to get perseverance stinks. Right? But he says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Why? Because when he or she has stood that test, that means they have not let him, they have not let the test break them. They have stood up underneath it. They bore the weight of the test of the struggle of the persecution. That person's going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Man, suffering well matters. It matters for that. Here's the last one. First Peter 2, 18 through 21. Slaves do loss, right? We're called that, right, in Scripture. But he writes this, slaves, right? Slaves, people who are indentured servants to somebody else, right, who are believers. Here's what Peter says. Slaves, submit yourselves to your what? Masters. With all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. Right? For it is commendable if a man bears up under, perseveres, right? Man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. He goes on to say, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, right? Like, listen, I don't know about you, but my dad beat me when I did wrong things as a child, right? And listen, I didn't get any credit from my dad because when he bit me over the over his leg and swatted me on the hind end, I didn't get any credit because I didn't cry, right? The reason that my dad was spanking me because I'd done something stupid. So I wasn't commended for that behavior, but he says this, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, persevere up underneath it, this is commendable before God. To this, you were called. <laughs> to that, you were called. To what? To endure suffering. Even, even when it comes at you for doing good. He says, this is what you were called to. Why? Because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Man, I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to preach about suffering because I'm going to be honest with you. The last thing I want to do is stand up here and preach suffering like I know what in the world it means to suffer because I know God's going to go, let's see if that's true, Cord. Right? And I'm already telling you I'm going to suffer because I've already gotten a text from my wife that the internet's out at our house tonight. How am I supposed to watch the Cardinals get beat by the Dodgers, right? Struggling, right? Listen, you and I need to learn to suffer well. And that means we've got to persevere and we've got to trust 
God. We have to be persuaded in Him. Listen, those are hard verses to get. But the only way to persevere is to go through suffering. And that's how God expects us. And here's the second thing He says in this passage. Not only are there ingredients to suffer well, He says there's evidence of suffering well. Evidence of suffering well. Listen to verse 5. All this is evidence. Picking points out of a text isn't hard if you read it, right? All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are what? Suffering. Listen, there's evidence. There's evidence of suffering well. There's not just ingredients. But there's evidence of such, right? So, you know, I tried to do some research about evidence and the power of evidence. And so I figured the best way to teach you about evidence was just to tell you a joke, right? So there was a lawyer, right? There was a guy on trial and he was on trial for murder. Case wasn't going very well. They had tons of evidence against the defendant, but they lacked the body. They couldn't produce the body. And so the defense attorney in his, in his closing argument knew there was a better, there was a great chance that his client was going to be convicted. And so he made a stab at getting him off. He stood before the jury and he said to the jury, he said, I'm going to let you know something. He goes, in one minute, he said, the person who's supposed to be dead is going to walk right through the back of the courtroom. And the entire crowd sort of gasped a little bit. And every juror turned and looked at the door. After about a minute and a half, the defense attorney said, I made that last part up. Nobody's coming through that door. But he said, every one of you looked which I believe proves reasonable doubt. Jury was eventually dismissed. They went into the room. With 30 minutes, they came back with a verdict of guilty. The defense attorney was dumbfounded. How could you come back with a verdict of guilty when every one of you looked at the door creating reasonable doubt? The foreman of the jury looked at him and said, Sir, we may have all looked at the door, the, the door but the defendant never budged, right? Evidence, right? Some of you are like, I don't get the joke, right? <laughs> Somebody can explain it to you later, right? Listen, evidence is a powerful thing. I, I, I got the privilege of working as a sheriff's deputy for four and a half years before I came here. I got to sit on multiple trials, multiple juries. I was amazed at the power of evidence, whether it was circumstantial, whether it was eyewitness, right? Whether it was direct evidence, I was amazed at what evidence could do and what the lack of evidence wrought in a courtroom. Here's the thing about suffering. There's not just ingredients, there's evidence of suffering as well. And here's the thing he says. Can you bring that verse back up real quick? Verse five. There you go. Listen to this. He says, all this is evidence that God's what is right? Judgment. It's an interesting word, judgment, right? 
you can, you, those of you that like to study, you can look it up, right? The Greek word for judgment at its root means to separate, right? To separate something from another. That's ultimately what judgment is. You don't belong here and you belong here. Making a judgment about those things in a group. And here's what, here's what Paul says to the Thessalonian believers and what he says to us. He says this. He says, all this, what? Perseverance and faith and receiving, perse- or receiving trials and sufferings and tribulations with joy. He says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. That God's assessment of you, of God setting you aside. Your response to tribulation and persecution is evidence that God's judgment or assessment of you is right. You see, we think, listen, I don't know about you, but I I don't, you know, listen, I don't like to suffer. Like, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I grew up in the middle of the country and had, had nothing, right? But as I've gotten older, I've had a job and I've made some money. I'm not big on suffering, right? Like, I don't want to drink skim milk anymore, right? Like, I want to drink whole milk, right? I don't want to buy no-name cereal, right? I want to buy Frosted Flakes, right? Like, I don't want... Listen, I don't like being uncomfortable. And here's the thing. So many of our churches have taught Christian people that the absence of suffering is the blessing of God. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says this... All of this stuff, perseverance and joy and faith in, in, in persevering trials. He says all that's evidence that God's assessment, God's separation and pulling you aside. All of that is right. You see, the evidence of your suffering verifies that what God says about you, that's my child, that person trusts me, that person follows me. Suffering, suffering makes God's judgment of us right. Makes it clear, makes it known, right? It isn't the person that says, oh, you know, I prayed and God gave me a million dollars, right? We think that's evidence that God's judgment is right. No, scripture says this, when you produce evidence of suffering well, you have validated that God's assessment of you and God's choice of you by separating you out of the world is correct. And that's just a hard thing to hear. Listen to these verses. It gets worse, so just hang in there, okay? It just gets worse, right? Listen to Matthew 5.10. Jesus. You can, just read the, you can just read this with me. Blessed are those who are because of righteousness, for theirs is the... You see, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It validates God's assessment of you. That's my child. That's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. Right? That's what blessed is. Here's what he says in Romans 8, 17 and 18. If we are children of God, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And everybody says why? Amen. Man, we love that. Child of God, and I'm a co-heir with Jesus, man. There's this little word in the Greek. If we indeed 
share in his, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, that's not taught. I listen to preachers all the time. That's not taught. Right? We don't teach people, right, that if we share in his sufferings, that allows us to share in his glory. We don't teach Right? That being a child of God and an heir of, heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus is ours if indeed we share in his sufferings. There are people who want to be a part of God's family and they never, ever, ever want to suffer. Which is why they go to churches with preachers that tell them, all you got to do is plant your seed and trust and God will make sure that God's blessing pour out on you. Because we don't want to earn our stripes in God's family by suffering. We don't want to go through that stuff. But listen to what he says in verse 18. You know, and I, you know, listen, I say this kind of stuff and I know it irritates people, but I don't care. Right? <laughs> Paul annoys me. He annoys me because he so willingly embraced his suffering to the point that it's annoying for normal people. He said, I can, I mean, I relate to Peter a lot better than I do Paul. Paul's way too godly for me, right? He says, I consider that our present sufferings, Paul, who was imprisoned once under house arrest and once in a dungeon where he would die. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, good for you, Paul. Right? Right? But, but what a perspective, right? Christian people aren't taught that today. And, I, and here's what I do know. The problem with millennials isn't they're millennials or that they have iPhones or they, they're technologically savvy or they want to live in your basement until they're 40. That's not the problem with millennials. The problem with millennials is we haven't taught them that being a Christian means you've got to suffer. We taught him that. We taught him that if anything is difficult, we'll take care of it for you. And then God says to earn the stripes in my family, you've got to suffer. And the stuff you go through, it isn't worthy to be compared to how God is going to be glorified or glorify you on the day of his coming. We, have, we just don't teach people that stuff. And we find people all the time who just walk away from church when it gets hard. Walk away from God when it gets tough. Walk away from Jesus when it gets tough. Why? Because we don't want to hear that stuff. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 12.10. This is Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh. He said, that's why for Christ's sake. (laughs) Again, I just write in my my margin of my Bible, annoying, right? That's why for Christ's sake, I delight... Find pleasure in my weaknesses, in hardships, in insults, in persecutions, and in difficulties. I delight in those things. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am... I don't know about you, but that annoys me. Delighting in my persecutions, my hardships, the insults, the suffering, right? That's not normal conversation in 2021 in Ormond Beach or anywhere in the United States. That's not the way we talk, right? How about this one? 
2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because he's, 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 he's described beforehand how we're hard pressed, but we're not, we're not broken, right? We're, we're knocked down, but we don't stay down, right? He goes to that and he said, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Listen, we, Christian, you need to make the exchange that decaying on the outside is a fair exchange for being renewed each day on the inside. Listen, Paul said it. Physical exercise benefits some. But godly exercise does this, right? He said, generally, we're being renewed day by day. For our light, guys in prison, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the trouble, not on the hardship, not on the persecution, but what is unseen. Listen, there's power in the evidence of our suffering because it proves that the judgment of God about us is true. How about this one in Acts 5? You can read Acts 5, Peter and John, right? They're preaching, they get arrested. They go to jail. The angel comes, lets them out, right? They go back to preaching. People are like, they're not here. Where are they? Well, they're preaching. So they get arrested again. And then they want to kill them. And Gamaliel says, calm down. If this is real, you can't do anything about it. If it's false, it'll dissipate. And then it says in chapter 5 and verse 40, his speech, Gamaliel's speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in, right? And they had them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been flogged or not. But the apparatus by which they used to flog these prisoners is torture, right? It's torture. And here's what it says. Again, here's what it says. They ordered them, they ordered them to not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. They just got beat. They were arrested. They got out. They were arrested again. They got beat. They got flogged. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because they had been counted, what? Worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then what'd they do? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching. We don't teach that to Christians today. We don't teach people the power of evidence of suffering well. Right? I got one more for you. First Peter 4. 12 through 14. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. You're suffering. See, this is why I like Peter. Painful trial. At least he acknowledges it, right? Right? As though, bring that verse back up real quick, David. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. Why? As though something strange were happening to you. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're suffering, you shouldn't think it's strange. Because he goes on to say, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are, come on, say it, you're blessed. You don't need a big check in the mail, right? You don't need God to come through with some miraculous gift for you to be blessed. 
If you're insulted for the name of Jesus, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. And then he says this in verse 16 and 17. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time. Listen to this. Here's this word again. It is time for the judgment for judgment. Not hellfire judgment, but God's assessment of separating you from the world. It's time for that judgment to begin with the family of God. You want to know how God separates us from the world? Cranks up the heat. Gives us a little bit of trial. Gives us a little bit of suffering. Gives us a little bit of tribulation. And you know what that does? That reveals... What God hopes is present so that his judgment or assessment of us will be right. Listen, suffering, suffering isn't a topic that you hear talked about. Not taught as a normal way of life for Christian people, right? But there's ingredients of suffering and there's evidence of suffering. And here's the last thing. There's the necessity of suffering well. The necessity of suffering well. Listen to these verses. Verse 6. Back in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, God's just. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. I like a God who's objectively just, not one who's subjectively just. Because he may be mad at me tomorrow. And if his justice depends on his feeling, I'm in some serious trouble. You relate to that, right? Aren't you glad that God is never subjective about his justice? Yes or no? Right? So God's going to be just. And here's what's going to happen. Listen to this. Those of you that suffer persecution and tribulation, God will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And everybody in here should say what? Amen. Amen. Right? And he's going to give relief to you and I who are troubled and to us as well. And man, listen, don't, don't get rid of that verse. Bring that, that other one back up. Six. God's going to pay back the troublers with trouble of their own. Amen. Right? And he's going to give you and I rest as people who've been through the trouble. Yes or no? Amen? Come on, that's good stuff. The question is, when's he going to do it? This, everybody read this with me. Everybody online, read this with me. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in placing fire with his powerful angels. You know when it's going to happen? When he finally comes back for the last time. Which means in the meantime... We're going to have to suck it up. <coughs> right? We're going to have to... Listen, we're going to have to do better. And here's the thing. You can look at the world today and you can, you can rant and you can ramble and you can rave. But you better be prepared to suffer. Because the way the world's working and the way our nation's changing, Christians better be on guard to suffer well. Right? Because... There's a necessity for suffering well. Because look what he says. When he comes back in blazing fire with his angels, he will punish those. Listen to this. He's going to punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everybody, everybody who's outside of the blood of Christ, right? Everybody, he's going to punish them, right? He goes on to say this. Is there verse 10 there? They will be punished. Listen to this. They're going to be punished with 
everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. Listen, let me read some verses to you just so we're clear about this, right? Luke 25 or Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. This is what he says. If the enemy, if your enemy is hungry, a person who persecutes you, insults you, provides hardship to you, right? He said, if that person's hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. You do this to who? Bring that verse back up. Is that the enemy? If your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If they're thirsty, you give them water. Why? In doing this, you're going to heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. A burning coal was a sign that you were wrong. And when you act kind to that person, when they're your enemy, it's like putting that mark of shame on them that they're wrong. That's the power of doing good to your enemy. Anybody here struggle with being good to your enemy? Right? Right? Listen to this. Romans 12, 17 to 21. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with who? Everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'm going to repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We already read that in Proverbs. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because when God returns to all those who don't know him, And have accepted the gospel, they're going to be punished. And what kind of punishment is it? Listen to these verses that describe the punishment that these people endure. Matthew 25, 46. We're just going to go through these quickly. They will go away to eternal punishment. It's not going to be like the weapons that I got from my dad that lasted three minutes and felt like an eternity. They're going to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Next one, Matthew 25, 41. He's going to say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Now it's not just eternal punishment, it's eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 3, 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he's going to clear the threshing floor. And he's going to gather his wheat into the barn and he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's not just eternal, it's unquenchable. It's never going to end and it's never going to go out and it's never going to die down, right? He says this to people who don't know God and who don't believe in the gospel of Jesus. He says this in Mark 9, 43 through 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it's better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go into hell where the fire never goes out. He says, and if your foot causes you to sin... Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. 
And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this is how God's going to punish people who don't know God and have never accepted Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. He goes on to say this in Luke 16, 23 and 24. In hell, this is Lazarus, or the rich man, in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony in this fire. Second Thessalonians 1 9, we read it. They're going to be punished with everlasting destruction. Revelation 14 9 through 11. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, right, and his image, and receives the mark on his forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. All these people who don't know God. This is where they're headed. He goes on to say this in Revelation 20, 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan's going to be released from his prison. And go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. To gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and they surrounded the camp of God's people. City that he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Listen, you want to know what the necessity of suffering well is? Because when you suffer well, and I suffer well, there is an assessment of God you are exactly who I said you were. You're my child and you're an heir and a co-heir with Jesus. And when you suffer well, God's glory is revealed in you. And here's what happens when people see the glory of God. They surrender to him. Listen, I don't know about you, but I love coming to worship here. Anybody else? I love it. Whether it's Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, I don't care. Whether it's Saturday night in my, in my group, I love it. It's wonderful. But you know what? I don't believe for a second that anybody has ever come to faith in Christ because they see me at worship. I just don't buy it. But I can tell you for a fact that there have been people who've paid attention to who God is based on how I've suffered. And knowing that people who don't know God and have never accepted Jesus are going to suffer that eternal punishment and that eternal fire and that hellfire and damnation that it will never cease and will never go out and there's no rest from it. You and I need to learn to suffer well. 
Because there are people in your homes, there are people on your streets, there are people in your jobs that will never see the glory of God in a way that will make a difference until they see you and I suffer well. Because there is evidence to our suffering well. And there are ingredients to suffering well. And listen, I don't know what you're going through. And I don't say that as a person who's not gone through a load of garbage in his life either. I'm not minimizing the fact that I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know how difficult a season you're going in through. I just know what God's word says. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through persecution. We're going to be emotionally taxed to the point of crying our eyes out. And here's what he says. When you do that well, God's going to receive glory. He's going to be glorified in it. And you're going to receive that glory too. And you're going to look more like God today than you did yesterday. And that's just good stuff for the people around you. So they need to know God and avoid that punishment. Let's pray. I, I know we can read the word and we know that Jesus suffered. And we talk about it. I know we talk about it as if we can really understand it. I'm not sure that any of us are capable of truly understanding the suffering that Jesus went through. Your word tells us that he suffered to the point of death. Had he just given in, had he just, had he just not stood his ground, had he just not persevered, he wouldn't have had to die. But he did. Because he suffered well. And he did that so all of us wouldn't have to spend our eternity suffering away from the presence of you, God. And now you've placed us here. Your representatives, the body of Jesus, you've placed us here. And you've told us, I'm going to change you from one level of glory to another. And I'm going to conform you to the image of my son, who is the exact representation of my glory. I just pray, God, that you'll teach us to suffer well. Because we'll get the power of it. We'll understand its purpose. And in so doing, we'll make sure that somebody avoids that terrible eternal punishment. And they can spend eternity with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you, church.